The Start On Demand. On demand. The Winnipeg Jets were victorious in their first playoff game against Edmonton. So we had lots on that this morning on The Start, as well as just how much do the Jets mean to Winnipeg? Road safety ahead of the long weekend. We'll speak to an RCMP sergeant about all of the super speeders out there. And we'll speak to a road safety advocate on keeping workers safe on Manitoba roads. And the trailer has dropped for the Friends reunion special, which will be on Crave on May 27th. So we use that and the classic Joey scene, custard good, jam good, meat good. To talk about the weird things we like to eat. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, May 20th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, this is what we heard yesterday on The Start. The Start. Winnipeg Jets legend Morris Lukowicz. Paul Maurice, I believe he's going to put together a plan that is going to win this series for the Jets. Those other six series, those all, those all happened prior to even 1990, so uh, there's a saying, the past is history, the future's a mystery, all we have is here and now, and right here and now, it's time for the Jets to step up and, uh, and win a series with whatever is required. Find a way to win. The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Weekday mornings from 6 to 10. Find a way to win. Greg, did you ever expect a 4-1 victory in Game 1? I did not expect a 4-1 victory, but I did expect Connor Hellebuck to come out on his birthday and continue to dominate. He was so good down the stretch for the Jets. He had two shutouts in his last four games. We've discussed this, the fact that Connor versus Connor, Hellebuck's going to have to be the better of the two Connors. You could argue Connor Hellebuck was the better of the two goaltenders last night. The Jets had a little bit of a dicey 10 minutes or so at the beginning of the second period. But other than that, I think they executed their game plan perfectly. And, you know, just from a fan perspective, what a tremendous monkey off the back, Loren. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit like that first game about against Minnesota mm-hmm. back in 2017. You know, the Jets had never won a playoff game, let alone a series uh, in their return uh, to Winnipeg. And there was sort of an unsung hero, Joe Morrow. The defenseman scored the game-winning goal. And then last night, Tucker Pullman and... Uh, I don't even. I can't even say the guy's name. He's been on the team so uh, little. Dominic Toninato, uh, who got the uh, go-ahead goal. You know, it just it had that that big sense of ah, okay, mm-hmm. all right, maybe maybe there's an opportunity here. But it's just one game. But boy, did it ever feel good and worth every minute of lost sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny that you say that because I wasn't sure if I'd watched the whole game last night. I don't. I don't think I've watched a whole one this season, and it's terrible of me to admit. In in the sense of when they start that late, I've definitely watched a whole game when they do the six o'clock start or a seven o'clock start. But these eight eight thirty starts, my God, that's so hard on our shift, right? And so I started watching the game. I watched the first period last night. Uh, husband's out at golf, so I'm, the kids and I are just watching and having a snack. And I'm like, but I'm alone analyzing it, right? And I'm like, I think they're playing. Like I feel like they're playing pretty 
well. Like I feel, you know, like, but I'm looking around the room for someone to back me up. So I'm texting with my family and they're all, my mom's a huge Jets fan and she's all nervous. And, and so then I decide, put the kids to bed. I'm going to bed. I lay down. I put the game on CGOB and I'm, I'll just listen like that. And my boys come in because they can hear the TV in the living room. Mom, Edmonton scored. Just go to bed. I know, you know, and, and then, <laughs> but then my family texted to say like, you know, we, when we had the go ahead goal, I'm like, well, I got I gotta get back up because I, I tried to go. I tried to go to sleep, but then they were all engaged, and I gotta get back up. So I go back out and I watch the game. And look, look, I'm not naive enough to think this leads to, you know, one game at a time, right? Like that's all I want to say about the Jets. And I'm not a na- naive enough to say this erases the struggles and the stress that we've all been feeling over the past few months for a myriad of reasons. COVID, obviously, the number one cloud over our head right now, it doesn't change all we're going through. But it felt so good to have something else to think about for a few hours and also to have something good come out of it as a result. I mean, I just, it was just so great. I was, I was just pumping my fist last night, yelling at the TV. And then I was like, I gotta go to bed. And then I was jacked, Brett. Like then I couldn't laid there all excited. I uh, was watching. It was my voice s- really high pitched right now. Sorry. I feel no. like, I'm, ah! <laughs> no, no, you're excited, and you have reason to be excited. The Jets won the game, uh, and, and, and handled they handled it quite well. Uh, but I, I was going to watch it. I was watching Jack Ryan on Prime at about seven o'clock, and I want to say, I guess I think I fell asleep on the couch at about seven forty-five, and I woke up at ten forty-five. <laughs> so I missed. The, I woke up wow, pretty like much the as the game time. ended. <laughs> So I did not see one second of the Jets, of the Jets game last night. That's just so I, I couldn't help but laugh when I woke up. I thought, "Yep, that tracks." That's well, that's me. You have to promise to do the same thing yeah, Friday night now. <laughs> Sorry, Brett. Yeah, that's exactly right. You can't uh, take your superstition. No, I feel like he's right. I feel like you can't. Basically, we're just going to call you and be like, "Brett, uh, it's bedtime." Do not watch the game. Go to bed, Brett. Do not be up, Brett. Listen, I will say, as soon as we had Morris on the show, I felt so much better yesterday. His confidence and his genuine nature of the way Morris Lukowicz described how he thought the Jets were going to do in this series. And then, uh, Brett, you and Greg and our uh, promo producer, Nicole, turned around that audio you just played at the top of the show, which, by the way, I think I've listened to on my own at least 30 times. And I was convinced. I felt like he nailed it. And our question of the day result uh, from yesterday afternoon was interesting. The question of the day, by the way, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. So the question was, who are you cheering for and who do you expect to win? And the leading result there, 58% said Winnipeg, as in cheering for Winnipeg, but sadly, Edmonton. Boo. So happy to see that those 58% are probably much happier today, GMAC. Mm-hmm. And at least for one more day, they don't go back on the ice until tomorrow night, uh, another eight o'clock start, but a Friday for most of us. I know not for all of us, eight o'clock start on Friday is a, a much more palatable proposition. And then we have two games coming up on the long weekend. If it's a long weekend for you, Sunday and Monday, I'm not even going to mention the start time for Monday night. I'm not thinking about that right now. 845. Uh, 845. Yes. <laughs> Oh, come on. Don't bring me down, 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 <laughs> down, down. Um, yeah, I just, what a great way. What a great way to start the series. And you have to think that the Jets can build on this because, as I mentioned, that they didn't play a perfect game last night, but they certainly uh, went a long way in proving 
to themselves as much as the fans that if they play a certain way, play within themselves, do certain things, they absolutely can beat this Edmonton team. But in the meantime, I imagine there was a fair amount of pizza consumed last night, Greg. I I even ordered takeout. I ordered takeout from Magic Bird Fried Chicken in anticipation of watching the game, (laughs) but I ordered it too early, and then then I ate it, and I fell asleep before the game started. Yes, I imagine the delivery services, the pizza delivery folks were run just about off their feet and... uh, I don't suspect that'll be any different tomorrow night. It's always great to have a little bit of takeout when watching the National Hockey League playoffs. The no, oh, you say it, Brett. The He's- North American Ice Hockey League Championship. Thank you. Stanley Cup playoffs in full effect. And of course, the Jets getting on the ice for game one versus the Oilers last night. Jets at noon host Cameron Boitris joins us now. And Cam, so much has been made in the lead up this week to last night's first game about goaltending and I think it was Kelly Moore sort of started it off with the whole notion of Connor versus Connor I'm more of it it's the Connor Hellebuck versus Mike Smith battle that's going to decide this series all other things being more or less equal Connor Hellebuck extremely up to the task last night yeah yeah he he took round he took round one of the of the bout no no question about that uh I, as especially in the second period, he tracked so many tough pucks, and and one of them got by him. The, the opening goal there by the Oilers when Puja Jarvi just you know they no one knew where the puck was, and he was just able to squeak it underneath his arm. Uh, but so many of those because uh, that, that the Oilers were throwing everything at him, and they were hoping for bounces and stuff like that. But um, I uh, Connor Hellebuck was just absolutely superb. But what else do you expect from him? Let's talk about the physical aspect of the game. I think it was was it a season high. 68 was a 68 yeah. hits cam. I mean, it was a physical battle. We knew it was going to be there. We're going to have to shut Connor McDavid down, but man, like they were really on them all the time. Yeah. And that was, uh, it, that's like every, every fan was saying going into these games and you know, what, what do the fans know? Sometimes some, something I, I like to think, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, Paul Maurice actually didn't agree with the, the 68. He kind of said he, 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 he thought it was around 12. Uh, he didn't think that there okay. was as much hits out there as, um, as I guess uh, the, the the people running the stat sheets there. But that it's you know numero uno. You know that's what they got to do. They gotta they gotta finish their checks. That's a part of this defensive style by creating turnovers, um, getting the getting the puck on net, and creating creating offense with good defense. And you know Blake Wheeler was has been talking about that after every single game. Paul Maurice uh, definitely has. But but this is what I'm excited about. And I, I know a lot of Manitobans are waking up today, and they they got a they got that extra spring in their step. The the Jets taking game one here. Long, long way to go here. Long series ahead for sure. But the Jets played a game that they can win throughout the postseason. And they got buy-in from everybody on that team. And they all played as, as a single unit. And things got a little tough in the second period there. But they had a great first period, sort of a feeling out between the two. But they, but they, set, a, a, they set a great example for the rest of the game. And they really shut things down in the third period. So I'm very, very impressed with the Jets. Very impressed. I thought in that third period they got back to what they'd been doing in the first period Agreed. after that second period where Edmonton, you know, really kind of dictated pace to a certain extent, Cam, at least in the first 11 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And then things sort of settled down a tiny little bit. And I think that's the key sometimes is you can start out a game playing your style and doing the things that you want to 
do and the way you laid it out on the whiteboard. And then, you know, you give up the first goal and then you might be tempted to maybe get out of that, get away from it. But the Jets did not do that. They didn't panic. It's something that they've sort of been, yeah. been famous for. The idea of just staying in the fight, as Paul Maurice likes to say, and not getting outside of the game plan. Because when Paul Stastny mentioned cheating the game, that's, those are the sorts of things he was referencing. The idea of not being true to the game plan. Yeah, I mean, I I I totally 100% agree with that. It was back because I remember earlier on in the in the season in the beginning, it was like the Jets would get down one nothing, two nothing, and it would be no problem. They they'd find their way back in the game and they'd usually end up winning. But it was over that last stretch, that that one in nine stretch where they would get down after they they let in that first goal. But it, it seems like that they've gotten over that. They're they're moving forward here. And, uh, you know, a, a, a great win, a, a great win, game one in Edmonton's barn. You'll always take a split. Um, but, you know, there's going to be a lot more games here. For this conversation, we are going to talk about weird food, inspired by the fact that yesterday, and this is so exciting, yesterday, the trailer debuted for the Friends reunion special. The test is ready. Rachel wrote Ross a letter and demanded he read it before they got back together. How many pages was that letter? 18 pages. 18 pages. Front and back is correct. Wait, wait, go one more time. If you haven't seen the trailer, go to 680CJOB's Instagram. We've linked it there. The special debuts, by the way, next Thursday, May 27th on HBO Max. But there's still no word yet if it's going to be available to watch on Crave. But I'm sure that detail is going to be sorted out in the next couple of days. So, using friends as her inspiration, there's a classic moment where Rachel makes a dessert. A trifle. But she botched the recipe. Everyone hated it, but not Joey. <laughs> it tastes like feet. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Are you kidding? What's not to like? Custard? Good. Jam? Good. Meat? Good. <laughs> so here's the question. What is the weirdest thing you like to eat? And if you don't like, if you don't eat weird things, maybe someone you know eats something weird that makes you wonder, like, what are you doing? Text us at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. We'll give it away at 915. And let's go around the horn here, starting with Loren McNabb. So I don't know if this is necessarily weird, but I don't know anyone else who does it. When I was younger, my grandma used to make the best biscuits. And the combo that I loved the most on them was her homemade raspberry jam with a slice of cheddar cheese on top of the biscuit. Come so on. jam and <laughs> cheese. Really? Is this like, the, this is, so this is weird? No, I grew up with that. Yes, thank you. So, for, but I haven't had it since I was a kid, and I've been telling my kids for years. When you know, what do you guys want on your toast? And I'm giving them all the combinations. And one, the other day, I said, "You know what you should try is jam and cheese." And they both looked at me like I was insane. Well, a couple days ago, I up, go upstairs, and my youngest is putting cheese whiz, which is not the same, I know, with jam together. And he's like, "This is so good, mom." And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Thank you. I don't. I, so, Cam, I'm not wrong. No, no. My grandma did that my whole entire life, and she passed it on to me. And it's like when I when I like have a you know like I just craving it in the morning. I'll put a little bit of jam. I'll put some cut up some cheese. Put it on top. It's fantastic. I like uh, peanut butter with cheese whiz. My dad used to do it, and I used to make fun of him. And he said, "Just try it." So I did, and uh, yeah, peanut butter and cheese whiz on toast. Love it, Mackling. Mine was going to be cheese whiz and jam. 
Oh, is that why you said come on? <laughs> oh, I, thought you thought, I, I thought you thought I was disgusting, but no, that's hilarious. Oh, no, hilarious. it is so good. I don't know if it's the British side of all of our ancestors that have combined uh, cheese and jam, but yeah, cheese whiz and jam was always a favorite of mine. Uh, you guys always give me a hard time about my favorite pizza, the side bacon and shrimp. Until you try it, oh. don't knock it. That's right. And the Thanksgiving episodes of Friends were <laughs> always some of the best ones. Anyway, cheese whiz and jam, I endorse this notion. Uh, motion carried and passed. <laughs> Portress. Uh, oh, got to go with the pickled herring. My goodness. I could stuff my face with that yeah? endlessly. I absolutely... I'm addicted to pickled herring. It is the best food. It's got the best texture. It's got that anything pickled. I'm I'm all over pickled vegetables. Um, I, f- I find like as I get older, I like like all those foods that my grand my grandpa, my papa, and my uncle Sam used to eat. I find like Not even I like thirty them. yet. You're like canned, talking like as I get older. Like a, a Hutterite <laughs> delicacy is canned chicken. Ooh, mwah. the gel, the the the, the 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 jellied fat and the. The, the 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 bones are just oh wow beautiful give me more of this stuff oh I feel so sorry for your fiance like you must just reek in the morning oh my lord uh, Jeff Fortier um I don't know if it's really weird but I'm a dipper like if I'm having like taquitos for example like I go in the fridge and I'm pulling out so many different sauces oh barbecue sauce okay. Oh, teriyaki, let's try some of that. Oh, salsa, well, of course, salsa just regular with taquitos or a sweet chili sauce. I tried so many different sauces, and I don't know if, is, is that weird? Like, I'll have, like, six or seven different sauces on my plate. Do you ever put them all together? No, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not that, I'm not that weird. Uh, I was, one of my buddies, uh, he mixes ketchup and mayonnaise. And uses Ooh. them with um, fancy sauce from Step. They have that in the store now. Mayo chop. Yeah, they mayo chop. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's okay. So it's not that weird. No, well, at least Heinz doesn't think it's all that weird. And they're it's marketing de- it now. It's delicious too. So, yeah, sometimes the the bizarro combinations end up uh, catching on. Jeff Braun. I am this close to throwing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Mr. I'm, Fussy I'm, over I'm, there. I'm, I'm a plain Jane. I eat things. I don't eat anything weird. I the weird thing about me is that I eat everything very plain, and I don't eat condiments at all. So, but uh, last year I, I took my girlfriend's little ones uh, out to get Slurpees, and I like my favorite. I just get like an orange Slurpee, but these kids and I, I still don't know how they did it because in a small Slurpee cup they managed to fit all eight flavors that the Seven <laughs> Eleven was offering. And it looked it looked so disgusting, and I can't imagine it tasted good. They they swore that it tasted good. I didn't <laughs> try it, but they'd like but like Coke and purple and bubblegum flavor and everything else all mixed together. Just oh, <laughs> turn my stomach just watching it. But they enjoyed it. So I, I still do that. Okay. I still do that. I'm, I'm, I'm almost thirty. Water? Yeah, yeah, swamp water. That's like an old Chuck E. Cheese. You just combine all your pops together. Yeah, I, you could order that. I used to order that uh, at the restaurant. Yeah, I, I always like the Slurpee just. Just plain Pepsi or Coke. I don't, I don't dance around it. Same here. I typically will just get Coke. But sometimes, every so often, I might throw in some cream soda with the Coke. Jeff, I'm actually surprised that you like orange and not the Coke Slurpee. Yeah, the, well, Cola's what I, I honestly never even drank, tried a Coca-Cola until 
grade 11 or 12 or something like that. What? So I just I just never grew up eating cola. Oh, I could go all afternoon, all morning and afternoon on uh, when I started eating foods that would blow <laughs> your mind. <laughs> I'll give you one. I never had lasagna till I was almost 30. Okay, this, this blows my mind. Yeah. Brun, you, you've got experiments. You got to get out there. Come on. I'm a little. I'm, we, I'm better at it now. I just when I was a kid, it was um, my mom's hair went white by the boy, time I, I was imagine. six. So. <laughs> wow. He was straining spaghetti sauce and all that stuff. Oh, oh. <laughs> all right. No sauce. You probably just had pasta with oh, butter. Oh yeah. Yep. And okay. salty. <laughs> we have, by the way, we have back-to-back text messages here. Uh, toasted. Oh no, I thought it was the same thing. But toasted bacon and peanut butter sandwiches, and then uh. peanut butter and tomatoes. This one from Tina, who also likes to put salsa on mashed potatoes oh, and on white rice. Idea. That makes sense. That's yeah. interesting. That works. Did you see the one from someone who loves a hot dog around the fire, but with marshmallows in it? Oh my! Well, you know what? I I shouldn't. I, I won't judge that. I'm not going to judge anything. I don't like marshmallows, but if you like marshmallows, why not? And if you're already dealing with a hot dog, I mean, what difference does it make? We're asking you to text us the weird things you like eating. And one text here, good morning. My sister always ate sardines and ice cream. Okay. Uh, uh, another text here. My mother-in-law would eat Spanish onions and peanut butter. Oh. All right. But uh, GMAC, Aaliyah's text jumped out at you. It did because I'm fascinated by the notion of nature versus nurture. And how do you come up with these ideas in the first place? So many of our stories, oh, my grandfather or my grandmother used to eat this. I tried it. I couldn't believe I liked it or it disgusted me or somewhere in between. Not much of a story here, says Aaliyah, but and I disagree. But my mom's side of the family, we were always estranged with because they lived in Newfoundland and we were never really saw each other. My uncle Barney got really sick a few years back and we had a visit with him before he passed away. He's a nurse like I became. And I also came to find out that burnt toast, cheese whiz and a slice of bologna <laughs> on top was also one of his favorite foods just like me. Just one of those weird things. Who knew? I think that's so bizarre that family members that had nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. could come up with something so strange in a oh. food combination. Yet here we are. The burnt toast always makes me think of my grandma. She loved things burnt, my grandma Antoinette. And she would she'd be at a restaurant and she'd be like, I want my pizza crispy or I want my toast burnt. And then I would pull the waitress or a waiter over and serve her say, she really means that. So if you've pulled it out of the oven or the toaster <laughs> and you think no one's going to eat this, that's the toast she wants. Or if you, <laughs> if you look at it and think, is it burnt? Then that means it's not burnt enough. Put it back in. Like, and they'd be like, okay, but we, we're going to charge you. And I'm like, yep, yeah, no, it's all good. She wants, she means it. <laughs> That's the way my brother orders a Caesar. Spice it yeah. till you think it's way too spicy and then That's put more in. That's yeah. how and I then want. Inevitably, I have to walk back up to the bar and be like, can I just hand me the Tabasco? And they're like, really? Because I put like 30 drops in there. I'm like, yeah, I told you. Do it like you think it's going to kill me. 
The weird things you like to eat for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. We'll give it away at 9.15. In the meantime, here's the headline at globalnews.ca. Fake news on Facebook. 18 million posts containing COVID-19 misinformation removed. And sifting through what's real and what's fake online is becoming an almost a heroic feat, Brett, as so many sound the alarm on the prevalence of misinformation in the public sphere, experts are calling for users to take accountability for what they choose to share. Global's new Ibra- I'll say that again. Global's newer Ibrahim finds out how to spot and debunk misinformation. We have a perception about what legitimate looks like. And so we think it looks professional and it looks really polished. But the executive director of a leading media literacy organization says that has changed immensely. Hoax sites and false information have become incredibly sophisticated looking, sometimes even trumping legitimate sources. You know, the impact of what we see online doesn't just live there. It, it does come into, uh, you know, offline real life. In a large 2018 study by MIT, researchers concluded that falsehoods spread farther faster, deeper, and more broadly than the truth in all categories of information. And humans, not robots, are more likely to spread them. How fast is this spread? Six times the speed of legitimate info. Now, there isn't exactly one key reason as to why misinformation spreads so quickly. But Hill says it's usually packaged really well, it plays on our emotions, and misinformation manufacturers know exactly which audience is most vulnerable. Science communication specialist Celia Dew says fact-checkers have come up with a strategy to identify false info called SIFT. The first thing for SIFT is to stop, take a deep breath, because a lot of this information can be really emotional. And I is for investigate the source, figure out, you know, what are the ulterior motives here? F is to find better coverage. Who else is talking about it? And then T, the last one, is to trace where they're getting their data or evidence or quotes from. If it's a little bit hard to find, that's already a red flag. Do and Hill say once you debunk something, you should share it empathetically to enlighten others. But if you're still unsure about the validity of a piece of information, do not repost. Now Hill says the size and speed of misinformation spread cannot be controlled by AI or moderators. But many say it opens up conversations about the price internet users have to pay to post online. And that is becoming media literate. Nudie Ibrahim, Global News. You can almost hear her exasperation at the end there and just the sense that here we are, you know, having to share all the ways that you need to take a look at the articles you might be really reading to figure out if they're real or not, or if the people in them are real or not, or if the information is real or not. And there's some good tips in there about, you know, they a lot of sites can be replicated. They'll steal a logo and put it on top and then you think you're reading it from a legitimate source. Always check the date is one of the big things because I've had to go back to friends on Facebook or other and say, yeah, that's that's a story from six years ago, right? That was the case six years ago. Take a look at the date is a really important one. But I've increasingly now, and I I didn't didn't want to get to this point because, and I'm curious how, how our listeners feel, have you found yourself removing people from your feed that you just can't continue to be social media friends with anymore, not because of the opinion, the opinion's one thing, but because they keep sharing things that you have to say, hey, so just so you know, that photo was repurposed. That's not a photo from that event, or that's not a fact, or that's not this or that. And it's it's exhausting the work that now has to go in to figure out if you can trust something, Greg. 
Well, and I think part of the problem is that we're all susceptible to news or headlines or memes, Brett, that speak to us, that sing to us, that seem to validate our already entrenched position. And so as soon as you see something that, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. You want to share it. You want to post it right away. And the inclination isn't necessarily to prove that it's right or wrong. It validates my point. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I'm going to share it. And it's typically too late for you to retract it or for you to take it down. And then you get the messages or you send a message to say, hey, 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 hold on. You might want to check out this, this and that with regard to that thing you just posted. And one the one that always drives me up the wall is when somebody posts, oh, my God, so and so died. And then you say, yeah, they died like six years ago or in, if that person is, in fact, still alive. So. That's one of the reasons why I don't spend a lot of time uh, anymore on uh, Facebook because mm-hmm. that, that tends to be where you see most of that stuff. <laughs> Mackling McGarry and McNabb, we're asking you about the weird things you like to eat for your chance to win the $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. And Greg, you're going to love Scott's text. He says, I like dill pickles dipped in ketchup. Yes! Well, I don't know about the ketchup part, but a dill pickle is delightful. So I said to Scott, "Have you conversely, have you ever tried ketchup chips with dill pickle dip? To oh. which Scott says, no, but now I'm going to give it a try this weekend. <laughs> LOL. Mm-hmm. Have you, Brett? <laughs> yeah. I remember when uh, the first time somebody said it to me, I thought, how did you even come up with that? It's a the Philadelphia dip. And they said, well, just try it. So I did. And I'm all in. That's they were a- with Fortier, just dipping into anything. It was probably Fortier's <laughs> relative that suggested it to you. Fortier, would you dipper. do that? I, you know what? I, I've never even thought about that. You know what? I would give it a try. Why not? Yeah. Makes sense, yeah. actually. Or else- do you like it, Brett? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I was going to say, why not like a dill pickle chip and a ketchup chip and just eat them both together? <laughs> Make yourself a little sandwich? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I like where your head's at. Maybe put some cheese Whiz in the middle. Oh, yeah. Now you're talking. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. For some reason, just that remember, just grossed me out. Cheese is a lot of food. Oh, sorry. Guys. <laughs> what did you say, Greg? Just remember, cheese... Whiz is not a food. It's one uh, mo- molecule uh, different than plastic. I think I read Shez, somewhere. I think that, it is. That, 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 that might be misinformation. Tying it back to our last segment there, but uh, that's, I heard that once. Oh, not a fact, Greg. <laughs> I know it's true. No, I know it's true. If you it's just do, not a fact. If you're doing home renovations and you run out of supplies, just use the cheese whiz to fill in the gaps for the windows. <laughs> But right now we want to discuss road safety, excessive speeds, dangerous driving, kids behind the wheel. Over the past year, we've heard some incredibly concerning stories from the RCMP about bad behaviors on our roads. Yeah, and Brett, here's one of their more recent tweets just from this week about a driver that had been caught going 151 kilometers per hour in a 100 kilometer zone. 31 year old caught a Manitoba Highway 16 last night. That's the tweet from the RCMP. So this was from Tuesday night. $718 fine and a license review. And then the tweet goes on to say, did you know in March and April, the RCMP in Manitoba issued 106 tickets for speeding 50 plus kilometers per hour over the posted speed limit? That's apparently more than two times the average during the same time period. And uh, Greg, some startling numbers there. 
you can probably hear me shaking my head as I'm reading and listening to you read it, Loren. So what's going on here? Sergeant Mark Hume is the acting enforcement commander with the Manitoba RCMP Traffic Services. Good morning, Sergeant Hume. Good morning. So there were some numbers in that tweet about the fact the RCMP saw more speeders in March and April this year compared to the average. Uh, is it too simple a question for us to ask you what the heck is going on here? Well, those, those numbers have doubled basically as soon as the pandemic started. We saw it in the first wave of the pandemic when the highways were pretty empty. So I think people just thought not much traffic out. I can, I can step it up. But those numbers have continued for the last year or so. It's like they said, more than double our average. So there's some incredible examples. We were talking about it. We read that tweet, but we know, I think it feels like every other day, RCMP are putting about about something that seems like dangerous driving. So what are some of the other numbers showing you when it comes to either speeding or impaired driving or other? I mean, is, is it all up? Is that too simple to say? What else is happening? Uh, the impaired driving numbers have stayed roughly the same. We've had about 400 impaired drivers in 2021 already, which is a huge number in my opinion but the the super speeders what we call is really what's through the roof i think our the highest we've seen is 130 kilometers an hour over the speed limit i mean those are just unreal numbers there's there's no chance of surviving a crash if you were to uh, to crash or to even to strike the shoulder at, at those kind of speeds you're going to lose control instantly what do you do when you encounter somebody going that fast because i imagine you can't chase after them so how do you uh, how do you get them uh typically we can get them um uh for, for the most part people are uh, you know at least cooperating and they see us and they and they slow down and uh we can catch up to them pull them over or you know the old saying is you can't outrun the radio you can call ahead to another officer who can be waiting down the road so he doesn't have to chase after them he can wait for them and get them pulled over Sergeant, for me, poor driving or disrespectful driving comes right down to that. It's a, it's a, such a selfish act. Have you got any philosophies or any thoughts as to why we're we're seeing this and why people are treating the road like they're the only ones on it? I don't. I you know it's kind of baffled us, baffled us as well. I think just the general opinion we seem to get is I think people just think that they're. Uh, they're indestructible. They, they don't really think it's going to happen to them. They don't think they're going to be one that crashes. Um, but there's no real pattern. We're seeing this among younger drivers, you know, middle-aged drivers. It, it's not it's not any one demographic or one age group that's doing this. It's just a, it's pretty much the general population. And again, we're, we're talking a lot of super speeders, but I want to remind people that 99% of the people on the road are driving properly. Not trying to say that the whole public is out of control or anything. It's, it's a small amount of people, but it's, it's very dangerous. For sure. And Sergeant Mark Hume is with the RCMP. That's who we're speaking with right now. You talk about uh, numbers being up for those super speeders and how at the start of the pandemic, there was this theory that, you know, the roads weren't as busy. And so people were taking advantage of that. But there's far more cars on the road right now. So do you know, do we have any idea what would be driving this super, the small population going towards that super speeder? Because a reminder too, Sergeant Huma, the, the long weekend is approaching and those highways will be busy. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it started, like I said, with the pandemic when the roads were slow, but now you know, the traffic on the roadway is pretty much the same as it was pre-pandemic. 
and, and we haven't seen the drop-off in those speeds. They, they continue. Um, a lot of out-of-province drivers driving at those speeds uh, as well, and quite honestly, the fines in Manitoba are much, much higher than out-of-provinces, and there's a lot of drivers that are pretty shocked when they get handed a $1,000 fine and, and a license review. Sergeant Mark Hume, Acting Enforcement Commander with Manitoba RCMP Traffic Services. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. We are asking you this morning to text us at 204-780-6868 about the weird food that you like to eat for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza. And I think my primary takeaways so far are sardines are more popular than... I realized, like one person saying, toasted sardine sandwich with raw onions and Miracle Whip instead of butter dipped in ketchup. I've been enjoying this since I was a kid. Uh, wife has to have an alternative meal <laughs> when I prepare this. Or uh, home. <laughs> we have also lots of love for head cheese. Uh, Ernie says head cheese. I love it. And someone else saying my dad used to eat head cheese all the time. I don't know why anybody would want meat in jello. And my other main takeaway is people will eat pe- peanut butter with everything. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I salute you like Jeremy K. peanut butter and pickles on brown toast. Or uh, toasted peanut butter and tomato sandwich with Miracle Whip. And then Peter says, I put uh, uh, butter on the top of my Weetabix, <laughs> like toast. Oh, my Lord. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> butter on the Weetabix? Yeah, so I'm just, I, I'm waiting to see if there, I asked, is there, uh, is there still milk in the bowl as well? So I Why love would this. you need milk if you already have milk, as I say in my wrong Milk. Why milk would you man. have milk, butter, milk if you have butter? It's the same product. It feels like you can't put those two together. When I make the tomato soup, I like to put butter in the tomato soup. Oh, no, really? A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yum. Pepper, butter, yum. I guess that's like a pasta sauce, basically. It'd be the same thing. <laughs> completely derailed this milk. for your chance to win. Keep them coming there. It's just, it's an absolute flood of text messages. So thank you very much for participating as always. It's uh, putting a smile on our faces as did the Winnipeg Jets. They face off with Edmonton in game two of their North Division semifinal tomorrow night. Of course, the Jets lead the series one game to nothing after last night's 4-1 win. And what a win it was. So many people so pumped this morning. And let's keep that going because, of course, the Winnipeg Jets in their current incarnation are celebrating 10 seasons in our city this month. Of course, this is really the third professional version of the Winnipeg Jets. The first with the WHA, the second called Winnipeg Arena Home from 79 to 96. And then the former Atlanta Thrashers franchise, uh, which came here. So in the 15 years between 1996 and 2011, it was the fans that kept the memories alive. And at the same time, the hope that the NHL would one day return. Something almost unimaginable that Sunday evening, the Jets skated off Winnipeg Arena for the final time in 96, Greg. Yeah, over the past 49 years, what have the Winnipeg Jets meant to Winnipeg and what have the Jets meant to hockey. Our next guest has done a terrific job in answering both those questions. Jeff Gerbison is the author of two books about the Winnipeg Jets. One, The Hotline, how the legendary trio of Hull, Hedberg, and Nielsen transformed hockey and led the Winnipeg Jets to greatness. And his latest book, Broken Ribs and Popcorn, how the Winnipeg Jets became the best team in the NHL's most offensive era not to win the Stanley Cup. 
so much history of this team, or shall we say these teams with the same name, Jeff. What do the Jets mean to Winnipeg? Good morning. Can I just add one thing to the gross food thing you guys were talking about a minute ago? That was that Gordy Howe's pregame drink was a mixture of Coke and milk. <laughs> oh, no. So, isn't that so like, a, like a virgin paralyzer? Yeah, yeah. virgin paralyzer. <laughs> right on. Yeah. But what the Jets mean to Winnipeg is, uh, well, geez, what don't they mean to Winnipeg? This is a big deal for everybody here. Uh, if, if there's one team that, that, that Winnipeggers want to knock off more than anybody else, maybe Toronto, but it's Edmonton. Because every time the Oilers won the Stanley Cup, they went through Winnipeg. And the, Jets had a re- the NHL Jets had a record of four wins and 22 losses. And, when you, and actually today is, is the 42nd anniversary of the Jets beating the Oilers in the playoffs. We can't forget that. This is city versus city. And when they won the, uh, the last AFCO Cup championship with a 7-3 win on home ice. So the, the, the record overall is, is eight wins and 24 losses until last night. So we got nine wins now. So there is, uh, it's hard when you, to call it a rivalry when one team doesn't win very much, but hopefully that's starting to change. So you made some of those connections there, Jeff. You know, today, the 42nd anniversary of the Jets' third and final AVCO Cup victory. We've been, you know, talking about all these connections with the Oilers over the past few days. What is your favorite connection between the two teams that you'd like to highlight? Well, <laughs> they're all sad, mainly. <laughs> uh, well, my favorite one was I was in the building when Dave Ellis scored in double, in double overtime in 1990. And... Um, that was the craziest I'd ever, I'd ever, uh, craziest event I'd ever, I'd ever been at. We were all on pins and needles uh, for that whole game because Glenn Anderson had already run Bob Essence over and he'd been knocked out of the game. And Stefan Beauregard had come in and given up a softy right away. And we all thought, oh, great, here we go with our backup goalie. And when um, Thomas Steen caused a penalty in, in double overtime, we were all on the edge of our seats and, and Ellett scored a few seconds into that power play. And the rink went bananas and no one left. Like, I was. My friends and I were probably in the building for another half an hour just doing laps around the concourse, high-fiving everybody for the 25th time, uh, because that was the time when we thought, this is it. We are finally going to take out the, the hated Oilers. And you got to remember that back in 1990, 3-1 comebacks were rare. There had only been four or five of them in the history of the NHL. So this was a fait accompli in most Winnipeggers' minds, and how could no one's going to lose three games in a row? And, of course... It did. And we groaned. Yesterday, we yeah. spoke with Morris Lukowicz, one of the handful of players who both played in that last WHA game and on the last championship team and also on the NHL Jets. What was the move from the WHA to the NHL like for those players and for hockey in Winnipeg? Well, remember, there weren't that many players that made the move because so many of them were taken in the expansion drafts. So we lost Kent Nelson and Tara Ruskowski and Rich Preston and Kim Claxton and players like that. And in their places were immortals like uh, like uh, Hilliard Graves and Dave Hoyta. So uh, there, there, it was only a, a small handful of players, but it was a rude awakening because you went from, especially those players, uh, some like uh, Peter Sullivan, for example, who'd been there for the glory days in the WHA when he'd been with the with the hotline of all the, the the power jets who could who could beat you with skill and grace and and weaving in and out, uh, but then you came the the first couple of years of the Jets in the NHL were a bunch of plumbers and uh, it was up and down the wing, dump the puck in, 
And for for Winnipeg fans who had grown gotten used to seeing such beautiful hockey over the years, to see this kind to see this dump and chase hockey uh, was would have been hard to watch. So uh, for for a lot of the players who were, were with the WHA Jets, this move to the NHL was tough because the NHL merger, as as they call it, it was a takeover. Uh, didn't uh, didn't allow the, the the WHA teams to excel, and part of that was because I believe, and a lot of other WHA historians believe that, be, that uh, it, how would it have looked to the NHL if they had let WHA teams come into the league as they were, and what if one of them won in the in in the first or second year? It was bad enough that Edmonton won in 1984, but they they couldn't allow the WHA teams to do well initially. They they had to they, they crippled them essentially. And uh, and so the WHA teams were were among the sad sacks of the league, especially the Jets, for the first few years. Hey Jeff, uh, we got to let you run here, but before we do, you know the, the sense of what the team means to the fans, and of course the individual players are a big part of that. Mentioned that we spoke to Morris Lukowicz yesterday. Such great memories, and and you know when you can get five or six thousand out of twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen thousand people chanting your name or saying your name every time you touch the puck, that's something special. But tell us about the fondness many of these former players have for their time here and their memories of their time in Winnipeg, because let's face it, Winnipeg gets uh, <clears throat> kicked around a little bit uh, when it comes to surveys of players about where they want to go and no movement clauses and all these different things that are a part of uh, hockey in in this century. Well, I think a big part of why so many players liked coming to Winnipeg, in many ways it's like in the regular job market. Winnipeg can be a, di- a very difficult market to, to recruit people into, but it's also very difficult to recruit them out of. So because Winnipeg didn't have the distractions or doesn't have the distractions of a New York or a Las Vegas or, a La, or, um, or Los Angeles, the players did a lot of things together. So they, after the games, they'd all hang out at, some, at one of the married guys' houses where they'd, have, they'd just order a bunch of pizza. Uh, they would go ice fishing together. They did all kinds of things together. So they, they really built a sense of, of team within the community. And... Um, and a lot of play, and and Scott O'Neill told me uh, when we sat down uh, a while ago, well, a long time ago because it's pre-COVID. But he said that he still knows where his former teammates' kids are going to school or what, who's getting married. And he said he didn't have that in other cities because they didn't have because in other in bigger cities, after the game, everyone would go their separate ways. And in Winnipeg, the teams the players would get together in the WHA days. Ab McDonald led sing-alongs with his guitar. So it was a very close-knit team here, and uh, they didn't have that in other in other NHL cities or WHA cities. Jeff Kerbison, the author of two books about the Winnipeg Jets, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jeff, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Thanks, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, our question of the day at cjob.com. How do you feel about Manitoba sending COVID-19 patients to Ontario? 55% say inevitable, 35% say disgraceful, and 10% say avoidable. So cast your vote at cjob.com. We've also thrown it up on Twitter, at 680cjob. And uh, this is something that we learned yesterday, Loren, with three patients being sent to Ontario. 
Yeah, it was just a few days ago that we asked the province and health officials and Chief Nursing Officer Lynette Siragusa if transfers like this were happening or were going to happen based on the surge we were seeing in the ICU. And that answer just a few days ago was no, not at this time. And then we learned yesterday that three people had been transferred, as you said, to Thunder Bay. The numbers were outlined by Lynette Siragusa as to why, and this is what she had to say. In the ICU right now, we have 131 patients. So remember our normal baseline is 72. Our peak during wave two was 129. So we're over that limit. 80 of them are COVID patients. 10 of the patients are under the age of 40. So, um, and we're we're not sure, like if we've hit the ceiling yet, I, and we're still watching these admissions come in every day. Uh, we're still trying to facilitate transfers out, so we have a bit of balance. Um, but um, the numbers are still high in Manitoba, the active cases. So until those start coming down, we are in a constant contingency planning mode. In a moment, I, I want to ask about Sorry about that audio there. I just was cutting those in the break. And and guys, you talked about the numbers there. So we're past where we were in wave two, right? 80 COVID patients in the ICU at the peak in wave two, it was 70, just over 70. So we're past that. Um, We're past where we were in terms of just pre-COVID surges, Greg. And so there's all sorts of reasons why this is happening. And then, of course, the question, is it going to get worse? That was asked of Lynette Saragusa yesterday on Richard and Julie's show in the afternoon, the news. And here's what she said. They're saying we have to watch these active case numbers. So as long as we're 300, 400, 500, we know that the portion of that is coming into ICU. So it's really, I mean, we are watching and every day um, looking forward to when they start coming down in numbers. You know, my message to Manitobans is I know that this is so hard and it's been a long road. And we are asking, especially going into the long weekend, to follow those public health guidelines, practice extreme caution over the the long weekend, and uh, we just want to minimize the spread of this virus. So hard, so long, long weekend. There are some people who won't be getting a long weekend. Those on the front lines, the doctors and the nurses, who for weeks and weeks now predicted this, said, look, if we don't slow things down in terms of transmission in the community. This is where we're going to end up. And those pleas fell mostly on deaf ears, I think. It would be very difficult to be in the position of being a doctor or a nurse, giving up their long weekend to work another 12, 18, who knows how many hours shift. When you're in the middle of this, day after day, hour after hour, masked up in all the personal protective equipment, And at the very same time, how can it not be in the back of your head? We wrote letters. We spoke out. We said this was coming and here we are. It's got to be the word frustration doesn't even cover it, Loren. No, and I think, you know, I I get it. People are also frustrated by restrictions and all the rest. And a reminder, we're going to get an update from the premier on the situation in the province at 11 o'clock. It's not clear what's going to be in that. But if you're not listening to the politicians and you're not listening to the infectious disease experts and you're not listening to Dr. Rusin, can we listen to the people who are in the hospital right now saying, hey, like we're 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 not even stretched thin anymore. We're just stretched to the point where we're sending people out of this province. Are, are we going to listen to that? 
Oh, by the way, Lauren, you don't have to apologize for having Julie's voice at the end of the clip. It's just good cross promo for uh, Julie and Company, our afternoon show here on the start on 680 CGOB. <laughs> it's uh, rich and it's rich and Julie. I'm, I'm I've let go of that grudge. It's just fun to bring it up from time to time. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in our next segment, we give away our $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza based on the weird things you like to eat and the text messages we have been receiving so far this morning have been so much fun. So thank you very much uh, for participating. And we think we have our winner, but this is your last chance to get in on it. I just want to quickly acknowledge this one. I put a whole sleeve of crackers in my soup. If the spoon doesn't stand up on its own, it's not soup. So <laughs> I used to be like that with mushroom soup. Um, it, it was just basically like cement mix at that at that point. So oatmeal. Yeah. So I salute you on that. Keep them coming. Last chance to get in. We'll give it away in our next segment. Tomorrow kicks off the May long weekend. <sighs> long weekend. That'll be nice. As Greg pointed out, not all of us will get some, but for those who do, enjoy it if you can. Many of us will be on Manitoba highways. Maybe not in the usual numbers, but the highways will be very busy at times over the next several days. If you see an emergency vehicle pulled off to the side of the road with its lights flashing, do you know what to do? Yeah, well, some of us do, and we do it. We move over, but some of us don't know the rules, and we should. And there are also those who know the rules, and you know they just don't follow them. And we know it can lead to tragedy at its worst, an unsafe work environment at the least. Yeah, our next guest has a tragic story which has led her to become an outspoken advocate for road safety. Her name is Michelle Golabiowski, and I just want to read from the driver's handbook. Motorists can be fined under provisions of the traffic, Highway Traffic Act for failing to use caution when passing emergency or designated vehicles working at roadside. You must slow down to the following reduced maximum speeds passing only when it's safe to do so. 40 kilometers per hour on highways with posted maximum speed limits under 80 kilometers per hour or 60 kilometers per hour on highways with posted maximum speed limits of 80 kilometers per hour or higher. Emergency vehicles cited in that law include tow trucks, correct, Michelle? Yes. Yeah. So tell us, in your work as a road safety advocate, you, you know how vulnerable tow, trucker, tow truck operators are. How scary is it? How scary can it be? It is extremely scary. I mean, it's, it's not just my work as a road safety advocate, but it's also being a, a seasoned tow truck passenger. I've seen firsthand being on calls with drivers on the side of the highway, how fast and how close vehicles can get. And, and that's when the conditions are good. So, you know, vehicles passing with enough speed so close to, to the drivers and the trucks, like it's enough to sway the truck. Like that gives you an idea of like the velocity, how quickly, you know, things can happen. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's legislated to slow down and move over. And so, you know, that has been put in place to give the men and women and the folks of the, of the towing industry and first responders um, the room to work. To, be, to work safely. So, you know, let's do that. Let's give them the room to work. 
Michelle, I can hear the passion in your voice about this and maybe even the frustration because of all you've been through. The loss of your best friend is what sent you down this path to advocate for better safety on our roadways. Can you tell us about her and this and the, and her story? Absolutely. So my personal journey to raising awareness of safe driving practices and advocacy began more than a decade ago in 2007. Um, it was after the sudden tragic uh, death of my best friend to the hands of an impaired driver that I began to advocate in her memory. She was killed on September 30th, 2007, uh, and she was also a tow truck driver who was killed on the line of duty. Now, flag persons are also doing a dangerous job, Michelle, in an effort to keep road workers safe. What can you say to motorists who insist on ignoring speed limits in construction zones? Oh, boy. Well, I can tell you, first of all, I would tell them to knock it off. Like My experience as a flag person. So back in 2014, I took it upon myself to have, you know, to do a little covert mission. And so what I did was I enlisted as a flag person for a season and, um, you know, personally, I spent more than 850 hours on Winnipeg's on one of Winnipeg's busiest highways, and that being Pamina Highway. So more than 50,000 vehicles pass me every day. And, you know, when I first had to, you know, put on the high-vis suit or the pickle suit, as we'd call it, you know, I felt like an absolute target. And so, you know, I remember my first week, I was hoping that you saw the construction signs on the way in before you saw me, because I was the first person you would see coming into the construction site. The amount of Texting and driving, handheld cell phone use, lane straddling, speeding, both residential and company drivers, pets on people's laps. And this one moment that was so unforgettable to me, like I couldn't believe it. I saw a woman, you know, in traffic with her bowl of salad, fork in hand, and she was just, you know, noshing down on her salad like, like it was okay, you know, to do that. Like with complete disregard for the rest of the motoring public and people coming into the construction zone. So... It's frustrating when you're when you're tasked to be that person to look out to be that director of first impressions, and you're seeing the kind of volume of you know of distractions coming in and speeding to the uh, construction zone. Michelle, just you know, you talked about the loss of your friend to an impaired driver. Your friend was a tow truck driver. You've been a flag person. What does it feel like when you're on that road? Because I, I, I want to get that sense of when you're standing there or when you're trying to do that operation. I've talked to drivers who say that, that cars speed by so fast that, that, that shakes the vehicle, that they've had the side view mirror, you know, actually hit them. Like there's, it's just, it's just crazy to be, think about being in that vulnerable position where you're potentially scared on a pretty regular basis. Well, it's, it's ironic that you actually mentioned that because I've actually had tow truck operators you know, share with me stories about how they were doing a tow on the, on the side of the highway and actually I felt the uh, passenger side mirror of a passing vehicle graze them on the back. And so what I would say to that is, um, you know, tow truck drivers have a very difficult job. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're in construction, towing, emergency response, flagging, um, you have to be ready to react to save your life. And so... It's like you're, I would say, you know, in my experience and those that can relate to it, you're on edge, you're on high alert, you're looking behind you, you're, you're just, you know, self-awareness is key just to protect yourself because you never know what could happen. Thanks for all you do, Michelle. This is an important message. It's important work. And uh, later on this afternoon on Hal Anderson Afternoons, Hal's going to welcome the owner of a towing company. He has some stories about nearly being hit 
on the side of the road multiple times and wants to tell people to slow down when passing tow trucks and workers on the side of the road. Thanks for all you've done to bring awareness to this situation. You bet. And I would just like to say thanks, Greg. I would like to say that, you know, um, my best friend, Mandy, you know, she was a part of my family. She had a family. Tow truck operators, they have families, construction workers, first responders. You know, they're all people who have families. And to the motorists who insist on ignoring the speed limits, I would simply say this. You know, would you want someone speeding through your mom, dad, best friend, girlfriend, you know, their workplace? You know, so if you wouldn't want them doing it to your loved one's workplace, you know, certainly give that some thought before you're cruising in to a construction zone. You know, just do it. Pump your brakes. You know, do it for yourself. Do it for your family and friends and do it for all the family and friends of stranded motorists, the towing industry, construction and first responders. And I would just like to say, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, perhaps look at this as slowing down and moving over for all people. You know, I know it's legislated for towing, construction and first responders, but, you know, there are families that be traveling. You never know if there's a kid or a dog on the side of the road. If you can do so, you know, I'd like to open that up to you know, the general public. Michelle Golubayowski, thank you so much for joining us once again to discuss this important topic. We appreciate it. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, Santa Lucia Pizza, $20 gift card up for grabs based on the weird stuff you like to eat inspired by the scene from Friends where Joey eats the trifle that Rachel screwed up. Custard good, jam good, meat good. Because the uh, trailer for the reunion special dropped yesterday. And Jeremy Kay, for example, peanut butter and pickles on brown toast. Another text, my husband likes garlic toast and peanut butter. Another text, I like peanut butter and everything. I even tried it with macaroni and cheese. Mm. So uh, lots of love for peanut butter. Uh, we also had lots of love for jam, combo jam and cheese on bread. That's from, from someone's dad. Doug says, how about raspberry jam and mayonnaise sandwich? I also have a friend that makes homemade pizza with canned salmon on it. You like shrimp oh. on your pizza, Greg? Would you have canned salmon? Oh, it just brings back bad memories. My, my Auntie Blanche used to make these finger sandwiches for family get-togethers, you know, with the crust cut off and everything. Mm -hmm. And they were fine. And sometimes she would do the fancy rolled sandwich thing. But some of them, it was salmon. And then you'd try it and there'd be like a bone in there, like (laughs) a big bone. Oh, boy. It's just like, just turn me off of canned salmon. Tuna, I can do the salmon. No go for me. But our winner is Eleanor. And (laughs) this has to do with uh, one of her kids, Greg. Oh, yes. Uh, My son has a couple of odd favorites. Odd is uh, generous, Eleanor, uh, that the rest of the family shakes their head at. He loves to take raw spaghetti and dip it in corn syrup as a treat. (laughs) His other favorite, get this, is to buy a bag of red Twizzlers. But that's not the end of the story, Loren. All right. So next step in this process is to open the bag of Twizzlers, leave it open for a couple of months until it is rock hard, <laughs> test to see if it is ready to hit a piece on the table. If it shatters, then apparently it is ready to eat. LOL rates Eleanor. I got to be honest, guys. I love her son. I love jujubes. I love hard candy. I have an open bag of Twizzlers in my glove box in the car right now. And in my closet, I have hidden an open bag of jujubes that I'm just slowly growing to rock hard. I like to eat like a fine wine. (laughs) A chewy candy needs to be chewy, not like soft and like 
it also makes it harder to eat too many of them. It's kind of a ploy. It keeps you thinner if you can only consume five jujubes in 15 minutes versus 50 jujubes in 15 minutes. Congratulations, Eleanor. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we were all very excited yesterday when we saw that the trailer has debuted for the Friends reunion special. The test is ready. Rachel wrote Ross a letter and demanded he read it before they got back together. How many pages was that letter? 18 pages! 18 pages. Front and back! Front and back is correct! Wait, wait, do it one more time! If you haven't seen the trailer, by the way, go to 680CJOB's Instagram. We have linked it there. The special debuts next Thursday, May 27th on HBO Max. Now, this morning, there was no word yet if it will be available to watch on Crave, but I'm looking at their Twitter feed right now, and as of 28 minutes ago, they say it's been 17 years, but your friends are back. Stream the Friends reunion on May 27th only on Crave. And that, by the way, inspired our... Fun conversation this morning about the weird stuff you like to eat based on Joey enjoying the botched trifle. Meat, good. But uh, friends, I know not everybody watched that show. Not everybody liked that show. I've heard at least one of our own colleagues say, I don't think uh, uh, there was a single funny moment on that entire series. (laughs) Jeff Courier. That sounds like a Jeff Courier segment. No? It was Jeff. (laughs) But we all have a show, Brett, that we look back on, no matter what age you're at, that really stands out to define where you're at, you were at, maybe at that time when you're watching it or when you watch it, it takes you back to the age you were. And yeah, like I, so if it's not friends, it's something else for people. And I think there's a lot of people who would love to see one of their favorite shows reunite. I'm personally super excited for this. I, I did two things yesterday. I listened to that Morris Lukowicz clip about 25, 30 times about the Jets and how excited he was. And then I watched that trailer about 25 to 30 times last night. (laughs) The only thing I will say I don't know about you, Greg. If, when I was watching it, there was part of me that thought, oh, we're all getting old. <laughs> like, because <laughs> it's 17 years later after they've come off air and you're like, right, we've all aged. Like, you don't look the same as Rachel did and Joey. And, you know, it, that was my only, my only pause was, right, people wrinkle. That was <laughs> well, it. Well, except Rachel. I think Jennifer Aniston looks maybe younger now than she did back in those days. I saw a tweet this morning that pointed out that Matthew Perry is 51 years old, which is the same age as, oh, shoot, Estelle Getty. Was that her name? Who played um, Sophia's mom on? No, was she Sophia on the Golden Girls? She uh, was, that that's, oh, that yeah. was her age when the Golden <laughs> Girls started. Uh, yeah, she Estelle was Estelle Getty, right? Yeah, yeah, she Estelle played Sophia. Getty. Yeah, so you know, when you put it in that perspective, uh, people used to look older, I think, back in the day. But these are our friends for some of us that liked this show. I can remember when it debuted, uh, I think it was on before Seinfeld, and just kind of looking at my brother and his girlfriend at the time. Yeah, this is going to be a winner. This is a a, a show really another show about nothing much like Seinfeld, but you fell in love with the characters. And I think in syndication, you go back to those episodes when you need a little bit of an escape. It's great to have them online as well and be able to watch them on demand, I think is terrific. I love just, I loved the Thanksgiving 
episodes the best. The one with Brad Pitt is probably my absolute favorite episode. And the one with the quiz is uh, is up there as well. And then some of the, you know, some of the terminology that's become part of our vernacular is, you know, it, can you ever carry a couch or use the word pivot without imitating Ross? <laughs> pivot! 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 pivot. pivot. <laughs> it's just... It, it, it's just an indelible part of uh, many of our lives. So I am looking forward to this. And if you do want to watch it, by the way, it is available on Crave uh, to, to stream. And I think for me, the thing that, you know, like if I, people often ask, which friend do you think you're most like? And I don't know that I can pick one or which one I liked the most. But if I were to say, which friend am I most like? Well, I'm kind of like, Monica with some of her OCD qualities and I'm kind of like Joey because I can be sort of, you know, I'm kind of a meathead with my friends and I'm also like Chandler because he's super neurotic and, and anxious all the time. And, or I can be like Ross, you know, sort of this kind of sad sack. Uh, Resting Ross face. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a, an entire combination. I think for me, the one I liked the least, uh, is Phoebe, uh, if I had to pick, if I had to rank them, Phoebe would be at the bottom for me, Lauren. Oh, I loved Phoebe. I don't think I had one that I didn't like. I, I, you know, at different moments, they each had their quirks that would kind of drive you nuts as you were watching. But that's, isn't that kind of, you know, how friendships go sometimes too? The things you love most about them is also, and yourself are also the things that tick you off more quickly. It's like your greatest strength and weaknesses, you know, they're one and the same. Um, I don't know. I like the question about, <laughs> Who do you most relate to? I always makes me laugh. Like, I I couldn't pick for myself either. I suppose I'm gonna say rate Phoebe just so it's the one you hate. <laughs> okay, it feels, apro- it feels apropos. <laughs> well, I have a, I have a feeling that look, McNabb, you might have the same impact on a group of friends as Phoebe did. Like, you know, Phoebe was always observing. She was always taking note, and then she the zinger. She would have the zinger. And she knew what everybody was up to. And she has that reference uh, with Ross with regards to how Ross dies. And Ross kind of proclaims that he's going to live a long, successful, healthy life. And Phoebe looks at him, yeah, that's what you think. (laughs) Because she's got this, this clairvoyant or pretends to or her character has this clairvoyant ability and so uh, i actually i think phoebe is one of my favorites just for that very notion that she kind of hangs in the weeds and then boom she'll come out with some of the best lines of an episode so i I don't like to argue or disagree with you too often mcgarry but i disagree with you on this one i'm not trying to pick a fight i'm I'm giving my opinion and i wasn't nor was i asking you whether or not you agreed or disagreed i was just saying if i had to rank them phoebe would probably be my least favorite i just found her kind of irritating at times i know we have a listener here pointing out the smelly cat i never really liked the smelly cat thing i don't know but i did enjoy when she got sick and it it improved her singing voice that's something i can relate to because whenever i catch a cold and this is back when we would still come to work when we were sick and I would sort of be trying to just tough it out through these newscasts. Eventually by about day three, I would start to feel a little bit better, but it was still very much lingering and it would drop my, it would make my voice significantly deeper. At least it felt like it was significantly deeper. So I liked the way I sounded better. So I could completely relate to that when she started to get better 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it made her voice Starts higher. Licking things. Yeah, she was trying to make herself sick. <laughs> Because her timber was better. Yeah. I, I know when I have a chest cold or or similar, I'm in the same boat. Loren, do you have anything like that where, you know, typically you don't want to be sick or you don't want to be certain something, but because of make, makes how it makes you sound on air or how it makes you perform otherwise, you, you're just okay with it? I operate at a high level of awesomeness, sick or healthy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm an ugly crier. I'm ugly sick. I'm ugly blowing my nose. I sound terrible when I, there's no positive. I don't, I don't get this trend you're talking about, but I did appreciate the, the Phoebe re- reference there to it making her sound good. No, all of it is bad for me. Hey, thanks for listening to the start podcast. We are available on Apple podcast, Google podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And Hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMAC WPG. That's G M A C K W P G. I am at Brett McGarry, B R E T T M E G A R R Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on global and on Instagram at McNab on C J O B. Talk soon.